In our series on parables and miracles, we come this morning to one of the best known and most uh, amazing miracles of our Lord and Savior, the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And what a miracle that was, what a true story it is to tell about that miracle. And you know, I want to start by saying that some things are easier to sing in church than to sort out in life. Take delays and disappointments and the deaths of persons we so love. Take those things, for example. Today, in this wonderful, true account of Jesus Christ's miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead, don't miss the Lordship of Christ, and don't miss the hope that comes to us because he is Lord. He is Lord. He is risen from the dead, and he is Lord. I want to read the account for you as it's recorded for us in the Gospel of John, chapter 11, verses 1 to 44. Please turn there in your Bibles or scroll there in your devices to follow as I read. Hear the word of God, please. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And it was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. The sisters therefore sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When therefore he heard that he was sick, he stayed then two days longer in the place where he was. Then after, he, after this, he said to his disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you are going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if he walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. This he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. But I go that I may awaken him out of sleep. The disciples therefore said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he was speaking of literal sleep. Then Jesus therefore said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Thomas, therefore, who is called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. May I interject? Uh, sarcastic, uh, doubting Thomas. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him, but Mary still sat in the house. Martha, therefore, said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother shall rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. 
And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. And when she had said this, she went away and called Mary, her sister, saying secretly, the teacher's here and he's calling for you. And when she heard it, she arose quickly and was coming to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha met him. The Jews then, who were with her in the house and consoling her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled and said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. And so the Jews were saying, behold, how he loved him. But some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of him who was blind have kept this man also from dying? Jesus, therefore, again, being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave, and the stone was lying against it. Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you, if you believe, you will see the glory of God? And so they removed the stone, and Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hearest me, and I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people standing around, I said it, that they may believe that thou didst send me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus! Come forth. He who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. What a miracle! What a Lord! Our first point together this morning is that Jesus Christ is Lord over delays. Jesus Christ is Lord over delays. I see that in the first 16 verses that I've read. You can't help but see as you read this that Jesus' delay in getting to Lazarus was on purpose. Jesus intentionally delayed in going to his very sick friend. The delay to go to Bethany was Jesus' decision. It was his plan. Lest we think that the deliberate delay was somehow mean or unkind, verses 3 and 5 make it clear that Jesus really, really loved Lazarus as a friend and that Jesus loved his two sisters as friends. 
So something was going on here in this delay, and the delay was not because of uh, an uncaring attitude or an unresponsive way. It was for loving lessons to the persons who were on the ground at the time, and it is for loving lessons for you and me this morning. Basically, two lessons that we ought to see. And the first lesson was to test the disciples, and the second lesson was to teach the disciples. So let us start with the test of the disciples first. Now, obviously, the Lord Jesus could have healed or could have raised Lazarus from the dead right from where he was at that point. Jesus didn't have to physically go to be in a near proximity to Lazarus to either heal him or to raise him from the dead. So what was going on here was a test. Jesus was administrating a test to his original disciples, verses 7 and 10. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you're going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. There were two aspects to the test. Number one, would his disciples follow his leading, even a leading to a place where they had felt threatened for their lives? Number two, test. In verses 9 and 10, the Lord explained that his men could have confidence, that is light, even while being in danger, the dark. The test in that explanation, was whether they would go back to Bethany with confidence because they would go back to Bethany with the Lord of all. And so these two tests are tests that Jesus still wants us to pass, to follow him even when there is a risk, and to have confidence in him by virtue of the Holy Spirit being his presence with us, will we pass those tests? I trust that we will in the delays of our lives. Next was the teaching. Jesus not only delayed in order to test, Jesus also delayed in order to teach. Verses 11 to 16, and this He said, and after that, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go that I may awaken him out of sleep. The disciples therefore said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus has spoken of his death, but they thought that he was speaking of literal sleep. Then Jesus therefore said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Thomas, therefore, who is called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, let us go also that we may die with him. The teaching that the Lord Jesus had is framed in a figure of speech that he used to describe Lazarus physically being dead. He said to his men, he's asleep. It was a figure of speech to soften the blow that Lazarus was dead. And so other language surrounding the 
figure of speech, the euphemism, were things like, I'm going to awaken him, which was another way, a figurative way of saying he was going to raise him from the dead. Now, perhaps Jesus used this figurative language about Lazarus's death to preview the fact for the disciples that Lazarus's physical deadness would not last long before Jesus would awaken him from figurative sleep to figurative awakeness after being asleep. Perhaps that's why Jesus used the figurative language. But I want to ask you something more fundamental. At this point in the story, how did Jesus know that Lazarus was already dead? No one told him. Well, Jesus knew that Lazarus was already dead because Jesus is God. He's omniscient. He knows everything. So he knew that his friend had died because he knew that his friend had died. He was God. Nobody informed him that Lazarus had died. He just knew it. Now, in verse 16, the Thomas, the disciple, uh, later who becomes known as Doubting Thomas, but here we could call him Sarcastic Thomas, he wasn't too optimistic, was he? He thought they were going to have bodily harm or death, but he was optimistic enough. He had enough faith in the Lord Jesus that he mustered up the talk to get his colleagues who were disciples to go with Jesus. He didn't think it was a good idea, but he said, come on, guys, let's go. Tells us something how our faltering faith can look in the eyes of heaven. Verse 16, Thomas, therefore, who was called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, let us go also that we may die with him. So Jesus planned a delay. And the reason he planned a delay was to test his disciples if they'd follow him to places they thought to be dangerous and to teach his disciples that he was omniscient, that he knew that Lazarus was dead before anybody told him, verse 14, and he taught his disciples to believe in him more. If you're here this morning as a born-again Christian, as my brother and sister in Christ, You've had a time historically in your life when you've believed in Jesus Christ for your salvation. It's a beautiful thing. But the issue is, are you learning to believe in Jesus more and more with time as you grow as a Christian? These men had already left their family businesses. They had dropped their nets. They had left their tax collection desks. They had just totally believed in Jesus enough to follow him at his command. But he wanted them to believe in him more. It's great you've trusted Jesus to be your Savior. I'm so pleased. But Jesus wants you to progress in your faith in him since you trusted him for salvation. Do you trust Jesus Christ more this morning than when you trusted him to be your Savior whenever that was? You should. I trusted Beth very much when we got married 36 years ago on August the 6th. I wouldn't have married her if I didn't trust her. I trusted her. But I'll tell you something, I trust Beth a whole lot more 36 years later than I did the day of our wedding. And that's good. That's right. Because I've seen her love me when I wasn't lovable, to help me when I wasn't helpable, to keep her promises made to me and our children. I know her much better 36 years later, and I trust her much more than I did the day we got married. That's how it should be with you and the Lord. You should trust him more now than you did the day you trusted him for salvation. And so let's talk about our delays. There are people in the sound of my voice, probably everybody in the sound of my voice, who is battling, contending with certain delays in their lives. 
Maybe it's delays in God answering a prayer you've been offering often. Maybe it's a delay in God providing for a need you have, or a delay in saving a sinner you love and pray for, or a delay in guiding a decision you have to make, or a delay in giving you a mate if you're single. Whatever your delay, Jesus purposefully delayed in this miracle to test and to teach. So we ought to be okay when Jesus puts us in the schoolroom, the classroom of delay. The second thing I want to look at with you in this miracle is that Jesus Christ is Lord over disappointment. If all of us have delays, and I think we do, then also all of us in the sound of my voice have disappointment. But Jesus Christ is the Lord of our disappointments. There are plenty of disappointments to go around in this true story that I've been reading with you. Martha was disappointed. Mary was disappointed. And even the Lord Jesus was disappointed. So let's take up first Martha. Martha was disappointed. And I'll read verses 17 to 27 to show you how. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him, but Mary still sat in the house. Martha, therefore, said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother shall rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. So what was Martha's disappointment? Martha was disappointed with Jesus. Why hadn't he come before the brother died? Martha's regret comes dripping out of verse 21 like some water bottle that was damaged in transit going to super value. See this disappointment seeping out of verse 21? Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, to Martha's credit, she had faith in Jesus that he could do and undo whatever was disappointing her. She knew she was disappointed in Jesus, but she also believed that he could undo her disappointment. We see that in verses 23 to 26, that Jesus spoke of the things that would really eclipse Martha's disappointment. What would eclipse her disappointment? The only thing that would eclipse her disappointment was bodily resurrection from the dead, and he spoke about it. And he said that he himself is the key to all resurrection from the dead. I am the resurrection And the life, Jesus said. Now, the part that faith in him has with the nature of one's resurrection is huge. So one day, every dead person is going to be resurrected from the dead. And the nature of their resurrection and the timing of their resurrection is wholly dependent upon what they did or didn't do with Jesus Christ when they were alive. So for the unbeliever in Christ... There will be a resurrection, but it will be to damnation. For the believer in Jesus Christ, there will be a resurrection, but it will be to eternal life. 
And what makes the difference is what you do or don't do with Jesus Christ when you're alive. There's no second chance after you die. There's no purgatory. A priest can't pray your soul out of purgatory, a holding tank. The Bible doesn't teach that. So Jesus said, in your disappointment, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the key to all bodily resurrection. Your brother is going to rise from the dead. And so clearly, before I move off Martha's disappointment, clearly theology, knowing truth about God as revealed in his word, the Bible, is so important to how we view life, to how we view disappointments, to how we view delays. We have to have accurate information about God, which is found in his word. And to the degree that we are in his word and learning more about who he is, what he's promised, what he's like, to those degrees, we will view our delays different than the average bear without Christ. We will view our disappointments different than a person who doesn't read or believe the Bible. And so Martha was disappointed, but so was her sister Mary, verses 28 to 32. And when she had said this, she went away and called Mary her sister, saying secretly, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she arose quickly and was coming to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha met him. The Jews then, who were with her in the house and consoling her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there, verse 32, therefore when Mary came to Jesus, where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, in some sense, Mary's disappointment was similar to Martha's disappointment in that both sisters were disappointed that Jesus didn't make it in time before their brother died. But in another sense, Mary's disappointment was different than her sister Martha's. Why do I say that? Well, for one thing, Mary was the more emotional of the two sisters, She was packaged by God with that temperament. She was more emotional. Remember when Jesus went to their home on one occasion and he was sitting at the great room in their home, just sitting there, and who was at his feet? Mary. And who was in the kitchen doing all the work? Martha. And who wasn't happy with the other one? Martha wasn't happy with Mary. Mary was more tenderhearted. She was more emotional. And so left to itself, her grief was going to last longer Than Martha's. The other thing we see right in the text, whereas in verse 24, Martha ascribes her faith in Christ to do whatever he wants to do, even though the brother's dead. She said, basically, you can do whatever you want to do, Lord, although he's dead. There's no such expression of faith in Jesus Christ by Mary. All she says is basically, if you'd just been here, it wouldn't have died. So unless God's grace and power intercepted the whole situation, Mary's grief about her brother's death was probably going to last a long, long, long time. How we grieve is very personal. Some of us are more emotional than others. One is not right and the other wrong. They're just different. One sister stayed in the house to grieve didn't go out to Jesus. The other sister ran out to Jesus as soon as she heard he was in the neighborhood. There are different ways to grieve. 
So there's another person who's disappointed, not just Martha and Mary, but Jesus himself was disappointed. Jesus was disappointed. Can you imagine that? Verses 33 to 37. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled and said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. And so the Jews were saying, Behold how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of him who was blind have kept this man from dying? Jesus therefore again being deeply moved within came to the tomb Now it was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Oh yes, Jesus was disappointed. Twice it says in the account that he was deeply moved. It says that in verse 33 that he was deeply moved. It says it again in verse 38 that he was deeply moved. The first time that Jesus Christ was deeply moved was over the death of his friend. But the second time that Jesus Christ was deeply moved was over the doubts of the people who were alive around him. Jesus Christ was disappointed that that Lazarus had died, but he was also disappointed that the people who were living at the time around that whole cemetery didn't have faith in him to raise Lazarus from the dead. Oh, yes, Jesus was disappointed. And so let me recap. We've seen two things so far. That Jesus Christ is Lord of two things. Number one, we've seen that Jesus Christ is Lord over delays. All of your delays, Jesus Christ is Lord over them. Second, Jesus Christ is Lord over disappointments. Whatever disappointment you may have and you're thinking of as I'm preaching, whatever disappointment you have, know that Jesus Christ is Lord over that disappointment. So the third and last thing I want us to see is that Jesus Christ is Lord over death. He's not just Lord over delays. He's not just Lord over disappointments. He is also Lord over deaths. 38 to 44. Jesus, therefore, again, being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave. A stone was lying against it. Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha and the sister of the deceased said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you, if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they removed the stone, and Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hearest me, and I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people standing around, I said it, that they may believe that thou didst send me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. I want you to see that in the lordship of Christ over death, that there's three phases. Number one, testing. Number two, thanksgiving. And number two, triumphing. I'll take them one by one. Jesus' lordship over death involves testing. Was it not the ultimate test of faith in Jesus Christ to follow his risky order to open a tomb which had been sealed tight for a very good reason? 
The risks were the sights they would see and the smells that they would smell. Tremendous risk. The test when he said, open the grave. Not only was there testing, though, there was thanking. Was it not the ultimate proof of Christ's faith in his heavenly father that he thanked his heavenly father for something that was not yet accomplished? You know, it's really something that the Bible uh, calls us as believers in Christ to have faith in God. But isn't it something that our Savior, when on earth, exhibited faith in his heavenly father? Jesus expressed his faith in his heavenly father. And Jesus expressed his faith in his heavenly father when he was on earth to model for us that we should express our faith in our heavenly father as well. And so Jesus thanks the father in verses 41 and 42. And so they removed the stone and Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hearest me. In other words, this has already happened I believe it's already happened. And I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people standing around. Jesus wanted his relationship of faith with his father not just to be a personal mono-on-mono thing. He wanted everybody to get in on putting faith in the father. Is that how you see faith? That you want to exhibit your faith in Christ and in your heavenly father so vividly, so consistently, that it's not just a personal faith with you and God, but people who look in on your life say, boy, she trusts God. I should talk to her about how I can trust God. So there was testing involved in Jesus Christ's lordship over death. There was thanking involved in Jesus Christ's lordship over death. But oh, thank God, there was triumphing also in Jesus' lordship over death, was it not the ultimate power of faith that Lazarus was raised from the dead by the spoken words of Christ? It shouldn't surprise us because Colossians and other passages in the Bible tell us that God in Christ, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, spoke everything into existence in creation by the word of his mouth. And by the word of his mouth, the Lord Jesus Christ called Lazarus forth from death, and Lazarus was raised from the dead. The spoken, powerful words of Christ. Now, it's interesting, if you go back to chapter 5 in John and look at one verse, verse 25, I find this interesting. Jesus is speaking in John 5, 25, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear shall live. (laughs) Do you know what that means? That if Jesus Christ hadn't specified who he was talking to by saying, Lazarus, come forth, that all the other graves of dead people would have opened, and they would have resurrected from the dead as well. That day is coming, you know. That when Jesus Christ speaks the word and the archangel comes and the trumpet call of God comes, every single grave of every single redeemed person in the church age will open and they'll be resurrected and raptured. And we shall not precede those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. (laughs) Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth, because if he just said, come forth, all the other dead people would have been resurrected in the region. Amazing. Amazing. And it's not an exaggeration to observe that uh, because Jesus called him by name, that that was the only one Jesus intended to raise from the dead on that particular afternoon. 
This is a triumph over death by a Lord. Now, I want to talk to you a bit about this resurrection quickly. Number one, it was a resurrection. It wasn't that a coroner filled out an error, a medical death certificate that was a mistake. This was not a resuscitation. This was a resurrection. They knew he was dead. They'd had a wake. This was a resurrection from the dead, not a resuscitation. Number two, for Lazarus, this was a return from paradise. For four days, he was in Abraham's bosom, Luke 16. For four days, he was enjoying all that paradise was. And then Jesus Christ called his body that was dead out of the tomb, and he was raised from the dead. I'm sorry, but it must have been a downgrade for Lazarus. You know how the airlines sometimes upgrade you? This was a downgrade, friends. He was in paradise. Four days. Had to come back. Be raised from the dead. Live. Scripture doesn't tell us how long he lived, but he had to die again. He had to die again, and he did. It was a downgrade to be raised from the dead for Lazarus. The third thing I want you to not miss is that we have curious people today. When there's an accident on the road, people rubberneck and slow down and try to see who got in the accident and whatever they want to see. Gossip is basically the curious taking it to the level of sin. We have curious people now like they had curious people then. And in John 12... After Lazarus has been raised from the dead, there's quite a verse. Verse 9. The great multitude, therefore, of the Jews learned that he, Jesus, was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. They were thrill-seekers. They were sensationalists. They, yeah, yeah, Jesus is over there, but you know the guy he raised from the dead, he's over there too. So they flocked over there to see the guy that Jesus raised from the dead. I wonder if they got Lazarus' autograph. I wonder if they asked him, so what was it like when you died? Was it like a bright light? I wonder if they got more interested in Lazarus than they did in the Lord, more interested in the miracle than the miracle worker. You know, churches nowadays, is really sad, but churches nowadays, not just in the Commonwealth of the Bahamas, but in the United States and Canada and other countries, churches in the United States and these other places here as well, aren't typically growing because of the exposition of the scriptures. They're growing because of sensationalism that in so many ways dishonors God. Do you know that there are churches in the United States that park a Hyundai in front of the communion table and they have raffles every Sunday if somebody's going to win a Hyundai in the congregation? I'm not kidding you. I just wonder, if you went to the place where Jesus was in, in John 12, 9, if you had been uh, in the great multitude that was there, And Lazarus, alive from the dead, is here. And Jesus Christ, the miracle worker, is here. Who would you have spoken to? Who would have captivated your focus and your interest? Who would have your eyes upon them constantly? See that guy in the blue shawl? That's the guy that Jesus raised from the dead. Can he eat food? Let's watch and see at lunch. 
Would, would that Lazarus draw our love and our attention and our study, or would Jesus? Would the miracle or the miracle worker be the one that we would most be interested to get to know? I just wonder. In a time and day when Hyundai's park in front of communion tables, I just wonder. And so not only was it a resurrection and not a resuscitation, and not only was it a downgrade to come back from paradise, and not only was there a curious crowd that were making uh, a bit of a sideshow, I mean a souvenir salesman's dream, a hotel keeper's dream, a restaurant keeper's dream, a sideshow. But number four, receiving a resurrected and a glorified body came later for Lazarus. He was resurrected. Like I said, though, he had to die again. But one day he'll be resurrected. Lazarus will in a glorified body that will never die again. So will you. So will you. And so all of this is to show us in the third place that the Lord Jesus Christ is Lord over death. There is not a person in the sound of my voice who has not been greatly impacted by persons dying who they love and have trusted and have counted on and have learned from. Every single one of us has been touched by the deaths of others that we love. Why did you take her, Lord? I needed her. Why did he die, Lord? He didn't deserve to be shot. Why did the baby you give us not live outside the womb? Every one of us has been impacted by death. Will we see Jesus Christ as Lord of that? Is Jesus Christ Lord of death? Or is he just reactionary? And when someone dies, he goes, I didn't expect she'd die. Don't really quite know what to make of this, what to do about it for the people who are living. No, he's Lord. He is Lord. He is risen from the dead, and he is Lord. And every knee shall bow, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so what we've seen in this wonderful, true account of this miracle is that Jesus Christ is Lord over delays in our lives. Jesus Christ is Lord over disappointments in our lives. And Jesus Christ is Lord over the deaths that come to pass around us in our lives. In in Our delays, Jesus is the deciding one. In our disappointments, Jesus is the dependable one. In the deaths around us, Jesus is the delivering one. We thank the Lord that in our Bibles is the record of God going to raise the dead and teaching lessons to his first followers in so doing and teaching lessons to our, his modern-day followers in so doing. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for the Lord Jesus Christ, your Son and our Savior, the head of the church, the Savior of the body. We thank you as we come to the table now. We remember a miracle-working Savior, a Savior with authority over delays and disappointments and deaths. A Savior that the grave could not hold him. He rose unlike Lazarus. He rose never to die again. As we come to the table now, help us to worship him in spirit and in truth. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.